Hey friend, welcome to But What If You Did. I'm your host, Allison. I'm a life coach, podcaster, and most importantly, a cat mom. On this podcast, we talk about the messy middle in life transition. As a generation, there is so much millennials were conditioned to not talk about, and the messy middle was definitely one of those things. So I'm breaking down the walls, doing things a little bit non-traditional, and having raw, vulnerable conversations with some of my closest friends. I interview personal development experts and wellness advocates to show you what's possible and help you build your toolkit so that you too can live a meaningful life on your terms. Ready to dive into today's conversation? I promise it's going to be epic. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of But What If You Did? This is part two of our building culture episode. So last week we talked a lot about what I was noticing in terms of building culture, what I was seeing working, what I was experiencing not working, and why I think millennials have uh, this really cool opportunity in front of us to shift this for our workplaces. I had way more downloads last week than I have had on any single episode in weeks. So I'm so glad to see that this topic resonated with so many of you. It's definitely something that is top of mind and on my heart often for me and something that I am working really hard to infuse into my current job and something that I take really seriously and I put a lot of heart and soul into. And so to hear that it resonated with so many of you was just really cool. I had a lot of DMs about people wanting to share the episode with their boss, but also being a little concerned of how they would receive it. But at the end of the day, like if we're not willing to have these bold conversations with our peers and our own bosses and we have no ability to create change. So I'm really excited to dive into part two. I'm not going to go into too much of an intro today about what's new and going on with me. I don't think it's really necessary. And since this is a part two, I know you guys are waiting to dive into today's conversation. So anyways, today we're going to focus on why I think people first matters so much. Like I said, after I recorded last week's episode, I was reading a couple of just really impactful books. I had listened to a couple different podcast episodes, and I just realized that there was more to this conversation than what I had originally planned for. So I'm back today. I don't know that this episode will be quite as lengthy, but it's definitely filled with some really tactical stuff and It's more of what's working for me in my world. I can only speak from my own personal experience and what I've observed, you know, in my shift from going from a toxic work culture into a very positive and uplifting culture. But this has been a wild ride for me, and I know it's been the same for a lot of millennials. So I'm hoping to just shed some insight into what I'm seeing in hopes that Maybe some of what I'm learning is applicable to you and your teams and where you see your career going as well. So sometimes as a leader, I feel like it feels really hard to put people first. And this comes from somebody who absolutely loves helping people and working with people and leading people. And I think that that's because leading with this belief that people come first often means accepting that we have to do some hefty emotional labor lifting along with it. And to be clear, 
emotional labor is part of your job as a leader, whether you like it or not. So I was reading the book Radical Candor, and if you haven't read this, I think it's an incredibly impactful book for leaders at any stage in their career that are looking to make change. But emotional labor is not just part of the job, it's key to being a good boss. That was a quote that (laughs) I found in the book, and man, did that hit home for me. You know, when I say that emotional labor is part of the job, I'm talking about the endless one-on-ones, the hallway conversations with your team members, the conversations that interrupt the presentation that you're racing towards a deadline for because they had something happen at home that they need your help and support with, the things that you feel like you genuinely don't have time for and that all you're doing is managing people's personal lives. I think sometimes I hear people say like, gosh, I just feel like I'm being a babysitter all the time. Those little moments are your job to handle. Whether you like it or not, these are the moments that matter and these are the moments where trust is built. And so as leaders, we owe it to our teams to have those conversations, to be available for those and really to not be annoyed when they seek us out for that. I think so many of the the poor leaders I've worked under in the past, like that's something they didn't do was I would come to them with this thing that felt really important to me or earth shattering to me. And I'd get written off because they were too busy to talk to me about anything. So I didn't know who they were on a personal level. They didn't know who I was. And I think that that really impacts how we're able to show up as our best selves and bring our whole selves to work. So last week, after reading these books, we had a department meeting, and I like to do weekly discussion questions with my team, but I've been trying to infuse that out into other uh, larger groups within our organization. And so last week in this meeting, I brought up the discussion question of what does it mean to bring your full self to work? And it was really interesting because we got this wide range of responses. And so to me, if I'm bringing my whole self to work, it means that I can show up as I am, that I do not need to feel like I need to filter or minimize the little things that make me me in order to feel psychologically safe at work. But what's so fascinating to me about this conversation and made me so curious to dig more into this was that for so many others, this brought this question alone brought forward just really interesting, uh, totally opposite end of the spectrum opinions about work and life balance. Like for some people showing up as their full self means that their personal life stays at home and their work life is their work life. And they have to keep those completely separate in order to show up as to feel like they were showing up fully to others. They wanted this sense of integration. So they wanted to feel like not only were they bringing themselves to work, but that like the things in their personal life mattered. And and why I bring this up, not only was it an incredibly interesting little social science experiment for myself, but it matters because in order to build rapport and to build good culture and to empower others, we have to care personally. And this is something that is talked about a lot in the book Radical Candor. So once again, I'm just going to continue to plug this because it really, a lot of what the book talks about is things that I personally had absorbed over time from a lot of different things. And so a lot of the practices it discusses were actually things I was doing, which was really 
affirming in a way. But I also think that for new leaders and leaders that have been in there for a while, like everyone can learn something from this idea. So we have to care personally because when we care personally, people feel empowered to show up as their full self. And honestly, when they show up as their full self, that's where the magic happens. We're all unique. We all bring unique things to the table. And I, as the, a leader, can't bring everything to the table myself. I need a dynamic team underneath me to make us a strong team together, right? So as leaders, it can't anymore just be about the day-to-day responsibilities. And I think that's been drilled into us for so long as millennials that it's like, come to work, do your, you know, do what you're supposed to do and go home at the end of the day. But how, how do we show up and give our best and feel really good about what we did at the end of the day and not lose our own identity in the process if we're not bringing our whole self and whole person to work? So When I say bringing your whole person to work, I also mean that we as leaders have a responsibility to develop the whole person. And I think this is something I have harped on for the last several months, that soft skills or human skills, as I effectively heard them called last week, um, are important too. Showing up and developing the whole person goes beyond whether they can build a file. That's just an, a tactical example, but it also means have we taught them how to interview, how to write a resume, how to write a professional business email? Have we taught our team to give a presentation, the right way to network, how to engage with senior leaders in the organization? Because if we're not focused on all of those things as well, We are doing our teams a huge disservice. And as leaders, our responsibility is to build people up and build amazing teams that do amazing things. And we can't do that if we're not thinking about more than just the day-to-day responsibilities. We have to be thinking about the person that is doing those responsibilities. So something I like to think about and and truly feel hard-pressed to say that I've ever up until recently, ever worked with a leader who even thought about this, but how does each person on my team's life goals fit into their job? Maybe for now, this is just a job that pays the bills, or maybe they're trying to learn a specific skill that will get them to a dream job someday, or maybe they want to be an entrepreneur and start their own thing, or maybe they're building a side hustle. Like Until you know your people, do you even really know what motivates them. Knowing what motivates a person is so critical. Another book that I truly love for this, and it does come with a paid assessment, but truthfully, I think the paid assessment is worth it, is The Motivation Code. So The Motivation Code was written by Todd Henry. It's done on all this crazy research about what motivates people. And there are all these different archetypes that you can fit within. And when you take this like I want to say when he when the book first came out they did the assessment for free which is when I took it but I would I would have paid for the assessment it was that good but it broke down your core motivations and for me I learned that from that assessment that a core motivator for me is to be able to develop something and to develop it from start to finish I will tell you when I read that I was like oh yeah that's obvious 
but it wasn't obvious until I took that assessment. Another core motivator for me is that I like to stand out. I like to be unique as it, as it, uh, I think the archetype was actually called, but I always like to do things a little bit different. And I do. This is very true. This has reigned true for my entire career and definitely is a core motivator for me right now. But anyways, knowing what motivates your team is so, so, so valuable. Do you know what to avoid to reduce the chance of boredom or burnout for each person on your team? Have you thought about where to put each person so that they thrive? I think that there's this mentality that a lot of us have grown up around that, you know, come to work, do your job, go home. And that is that you're going to have parts of your job that you like. You're going to have parts of your job that you hate. There are always going to be responsibilities that you're bored with. and, And that is true to some extent. But I feel like as leaders, we drop the ball when we don't think about where our people thrive. What if you didn't have to force them to do things they hated? How much more engaged would they be? How would that change your team's productivity? These are things that there's no good answer for, right? Like these are not, I can't write it in a book for you. I can't put it in a blog post and tell you how each person on your team is going to be best. Uh, you know, like it, it's this mentality that we have to shift to say, what if I tried something different? What if I changed my tactical approach every couple of weeks to see what worked. It's a lot of this like entrepreneurial mentality of like throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. That's an analogy that was used for me a couple of years ago when I started. And for whatever reason, that has been the thing that like sticks in my brain that like sometimes you just have to try things and see what works and what doesn't work. I've had to move people around on my team and shift their responsibilities and give like Some are really good at documenting things. Others are definitely not. Like sometimes you just have to play around with it and have this mindset of play in terms of trying trying different things. But at the end of the day, I really do think that when you do that, you have a better chance of avoiding burnout and boredom because they're more engaged. Another thing that comes to mind with this people first approach, and this was another concept that It was funny because I'd heard of this well before I read Radical Candor, not realizing that this was from the book Radical Candor. For a team to be successful and for people to come first, you need both rock stars and superstars. So if you're not familiar with this concept, what that means is your rock stars are your stability people. They're the people that are not looking to grow their careers overnight. They're not looking to climb the ladder. They're just happy doing what they're doing. They're happy showing up. They like a good side project now and again. They're solid performers. They're solid key contributors to your team. And then you have your superstars, which are your people that come in guns a blazing. They're ready to climb the ladder. They're ready to move up. They want to know what's next. They want a clear growth trajectory. And We all go through phases of life where like maybe at points in my career, I've been more of a rock star and maybe now I'm more on a superstar track or vice versa. Like I think sometimes we get, we hear things like this and we pigeonhole ourselves into one. We're like, oh, I'm definitely a rock star. Oh, I'm definitely a superstar. When really like we just have different phases in life where you need those. But I think sometimes leaders fall into this trap where we like we're hiring for our teams and sometimes leaders that are superstars want to exclusively hire superstars. But then when they want to move on, we're frustrated that we have to start over. And so sometimes you need to hire a rock star and sometimes you need to hire a superstar. 
Another thing to note is that a lot of times rock stars just don't get the attention they deserve. And so when we're building a people first culture around us and we're building a team of rock stars and superstars around us, make sure that you're careful to pay attention to both sides because they both deserve attention and they both bring different things to the team. And if you build a well-rounded team with this one team mindset and you have rock stars and you have superstars, like honestly, guys, the sky's the limit. But that comes from investing in your people and knowing your people and knowing them personally and caring about them personally. When you do that, it's amazing what happens. Another thing that came up in the book that I, this is something that I started paying attention to a lot when I was going through my life coaching certification is that in order to build culture in general, you have to cultivate a culture of listening. So something that I think leaders don't do often enough is have these candid, vulnerable conversations. Sometimes you're having this conversation with a direct report and they're having a really rough day. And sometimes they're telling you all this because they just need someone to listen. And sometimes they want you to actually provide solutions. And so I know I'm guilty of this, even in my personal relationship with my partner, that like, I'm a very solution-driven person. So like, I just assume anytime someone's speaking to me, they're expecting me to provide them a solution of what they should do. But that's not always the case. And so as I've learned to cultivate a culture of listening in my home life, in my friend circles, in my professional life... Something that I often have to ask and just like truthfully say it out loud and ask when you're having these kind of conversations is, would you like me to just listen or would you like me to provide solutions so that you know what it is they're looking for? How many times have you had a boss in your career that you know just didn't listen to a word you said? Listening is like the simplest, most basic skill, and yet it has so much power to shift our culture, to shift our world, to shift our relationships. But what if listening alone was the key to shifting your engagement levels? If I told you that just being a better listener could help you grow a more engaged team, would you be a better listener? Because I feel like a lot of people would. I feel like you would put in the work to be a more active and engaged listener. We grew up in this age of distraction, millennials. And so I think a lot of times like we're sitting in these tough conversations and the first thing we do is think about other things because it's uncomfortable and we don't want to have hard conversations. (laughs) That's just like human nature. But we tune out. And so I might be having this conversation with this person who's pouring their heart out and I'm over here thinking about what I want for dinner or what book I'm going to read next. But cultivating this culture of listening has been so instrumental for me in how I've related to my team, how I've gained trust within my, my current ecosphere. And it's something that I think is so simple to do, but also so simple not to do. But it's a great way to put people first. So The last uh, big kind of point that I'm going to bring up, as a boss, your job is to be the editor, not the author. That was one of those mic drop moments for me. So by owning your position as the editor, you empower your team to author their own story. It drives engagement. It drives productivity, creativity, critical thinking skills, and opens the door for you to be able to coach and edit and provide strategic oversight, but not dictate. 
autonomy matters when you operate from a place of where people come first. That is something that is so important to people in the workplace right now. And this puts it back in the team's hands. And why I think this is so important is because if we author everything ourselves as the leader, we don't really build the next generation of leaders. But if our role as the editor allows us to develop the next generation, then why would we not take that opportunity? Anyways, at the end of the day, I think millennials have, like, the reality is we've been through a lot and people first takes a lot of emotional labor, which when you've been through so much yourself is so hard to willingly accept that that emotional labor does matter. But when you go all in on people first, when you allow your people to be seen and heard and supported and to step into their superpowers, they show up not only for themselves, but for their peers, their leaders, their team, and their company at large. And they become this truly, truly dynamic centerpiece to building a positive and rewarding and sustainable culture. And then suddenly the emotional labor all feels worth it because that starts the ripple effect. If you lift up your team and you lift up people first, those people go on to join other teams and they take what you've taught them with them. And that becomes the ripple effect. And that is how you build strong and sustainable culture. And man, if all it took was investing in our people, don't you think everyone would be doing it? They're not because it comes with emotional labor. And as leaders, it is our job to show up for our people and to bear that emotional labor. And if that is not something that is well-suited for you, then I encourage you to take a real look at what you're doing in a leadership position. Are you there because you felt like that was the only way to grow your career and that was the only way to get a higher paycheck? Or are you there because you care so much about people that you want to invest in them personally so that you can take care of the next generation, right? I think why we do something matters. And if you're not in a role that's right for you, reach out to me. Let's talk. Let's find a job that is the right fit for you and get the people that should be leading people into those people leader positions. People matter and they are the key to building strong culture. All right, friends, I hope today's episode was helpful. If you haven't listened to part one, I will of course link it down in the show notes below. I hope you all have a wonderful week and until next week, I will see you all real soon. Thank you so much for coming to hang today. I know you have a lot of choices when it comes to what podcasts you listen to, and I'm so grateful that you chose to spend part of your day with me. If today's conversation helped you in any way, I would love for you to leave a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts from. And if you believe the podcast conversation could help someone else in your life, I would love for you to share it with them. The simple act of sharing these episodes with people you love really, truly means the world to me. Until next time, friends, I'm Allison, and this has been But What If You Did.